Good afternoon, I'm John Taltricchio, Deputy Mayor for Planning and Economic Development, and welcome to the Recovery Weekly Check-In. Uh, we've got a great panel uh, with us today, uh, and we want to jump right into it. Uh, first, with some updates, just last week uh, on Wednesday, uh, we held uh, March Madness, uh, and that was a showcase of what we're doing on DC HOPE. Uh, usually, uh, DC HOPE stands for Health, Opportunity, Prosperity, and Equity, uh, but for March Madness, we turned that H into housing. So we talked about housing, opportunity, prosperity, and equity. And so uh, we highlighted uh, some exciting new projects like the district townhomes, uh, which are on the campus of St. Elizabeth. It's 88 townhomes, uh, 27 of which are uh, affordable uh, home ownership opportunities. So really excited about that, as well as a whole slate of announcements that we made about uh, business and real estate opportunities uh, in order for us to invest in our uh, businesses as well as our residents uh, by providing more housing options and to really uh, attack the issue of housing affordability. So with that, I want to bring in some partners. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about uh, really uh, housing, uh, but also uh, highlighting women leaders in housing. So I'm really excited uh, to bring in uh, one of my partners uh, in the housing agency partners, uh, and that is Polly Donaldson, who's the director of the Department of Housing and Community Development. Well, thank you, Deputy Mayor. It's a pleasure to be here again. This is my second time here at the Economic Recovery Updates, and I'm delighted to be here during Women's History Month when we're honoring women leaders in housing uh, and community development, and I'm really delighted to be able to join that. Um, for those of you who don't know, and, and I just wanted to give you a little bit of my background on how I got involved with housing, um, and it started when I moved here to the district um, uh, 30 plus years ago and was uh, able to volunteer with several homeless housing organizations, uh, eventually changing my career actually to working directly in affordable housing as executive director of a homeless housing organization that focused primarily on women-led families. Uh, and it really was an opportunity to help uh, women transform their lives and transform their families through housing. And that's why I'm so uh, delighted to be here today and to be able to celebrate some of our colleagues and partners in the community as well. But let me give you a brief update, if I could, on where uh, the Department of Housing and Community Development and some of the work we do and how it uh, benefits women, but also women-led families, women head of households, which we know is a very important core part of the District of Columbia. Um, I just wanted to run a few gender statistics by you today. We do track some of our program uh, uh, statistics in that way, and I can tell you that it really is heartening to see how women-headed uh, households are actually accessing the resources here in the, in the district. So just taking a look at the slide in front of you there, the, the Coronavirus Housing Assistance Program known as CHAP, uh, over half of the applications have come from female-headed households, which means they're going to be able to stay stably housed and have a chance to clear their rent arrears and to be able to stay in the community as well. For our Home Purchase Assistance Program, which is our primary program to help first-time home buyers uh, with down payment assistance, 190 are women borrowers compared to only 120 male borrowers, again showing that women-led households are leading the way 
in looking at how to become a homeowner. And then finally, the Employer Assisted Housing Program, which is a program for district government employees. Um, we've had this year so far 39 female borrowers and 27 male borrowers, again, leading the way. Um, and knowing that this really is an important way for women uh, to invest in women and families here in the district. Um, next slide, please. I do also want to give you a brief update on some of our development finance projects that have um, particularly focused on either helping community of, uh, of women um, in, uh, with special needs and or senior women. And that would be uh, some of the projects that I'm going to talk about here. Delta Towers is one. You all may know right where that is at the intersection of Florida and Benning Road Northeast. And I have to say that that really, uh, without the, the Delta Sigma Theta uh, sorority, we would not be here today talking about Delta Towers because they did a really fabulous job of making sure that the mission focus of senior housing in that part of the district was being accomplished and that we could expand that housing um, through renovation uh, and building of a new building in addition to their uh, renovating their existing Delta Towers. Mary's House is a terrific project for LGBTQ uh, senior women and men, but, but it's a woman-led organization that really is doing such a terrific job to make that happen. Uh, Hyacinth House is in pre-development, and that's also going to focus on helping women-led uh, families, um, as well as Diane's House, which does provide permanent supportive housing as well. Um, we will work closely with groups such as N Street Village that serve homeless women uh, throughout the district, and particularly for the very historic Phyllis Wheatley YWCA housing in on Rhode Island Avenue in Northwest DC. So really there are a lot of opportunities and a lot more coming. And I just also want to finally say we do have some additional resources coming to the district in the housing area. If we go to the next slide, as part of the America American Rescue Plan passed by the Congress uh, just this past month and then also signed by President Biden. Um, it's going to include $152 million in additional rental assistance that you're going to hear Director Zeilander talk about with the Department of Human Services, $50 million in home ownership assistance to help people stay in their new homes or in their homes uh, through mortgage payments, and then another $44 million in emergency rental vouchers uh, that the Housing Authority will help uh, distribute in the community, and then energy assistance, $15 million in additional LIHEAP funds. All of these resources you can find information on at coronavirus.dc.gov, and please, I encourage you to do that. So that's, that's the update from DHCD, and now I want to talk to Director Laura Zeilinger from the Department of Human Services. Laura? Thank you so much, Director Donaldson, and thanks it's a, for um, Deputy Mayor. It's wonderful to be here with you today um, at this economic recovery check-in. I want to share some information about services provided through the Department of Human Services, and you can go to the next slide. Uh, we know that the pandemic has uh, affected everybody, and economically, women, uh, particularly women-headed households, are disproportionately impacted in terms of loss of income. And want residents of the district to know that there is help available, there are income supports available, even if you've never had to access them before, we want you to know how you can. So if you go to the next slide, Director Tomlinson talked a little bit about funding that's available if you need help with your rent. Um, there are new funds that, um, federal funds that were, will be available very soon. We are in the final stages of preparing to launch 
uh, the, uh, the application system and wanted people to know who qualifies and what to look for and know that there is an announcement that is coming imminently as we prepare to launch that program. So if you've qualified for unemployment benefits, if you've had a reduction in your income and you owe rent arrears, you owe past rent, if you are at risk of homelessness, then you should be thinking about uh, asking for help and there is help available to you with your rent. Um, you can start compiling the documents that you will need. You'll need to prove your identity and you can do that with um, any kind of photo ID that is government issued. You will prove your income and you, as well as you'll be able to show your lease. So if those are things, if you anticipate that you need that assistance, please start gathering those documents together and uh, those supports will be available to you imminently. Stay tuned for an announcement that is coming with that assistance. On the next slide, I wanna tell you a little bit about other income support programs that are available to district residents. In addition, we have an, an emergency rental assistance program and which does also help with rent arrears. We um, have a, a um, also help with temporary housing as well as cash assistance through our temporary assistance for needy families program. We, that'll help you with some cash assistance uh, and, um, and other in, in, as an additional income support if you're not getting unemployment insurance as well as the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program that can help residents who need help with um, paying for food. And if you need help with um, medical insurance, you can also apply for Medicaid. And in addition, there are, with these programs, there's also supportive services that can help you connect to workforce development programs if you are interested in a career change or need to build your skills and are thinking about reemployment um, as the economy reopens. On the next slide is some information about how you apply for public benefits. So while DHS service centers are currently closed um, to, in terms of seeing people face-to-face, -face, you can pick up and drop off documents at any of our service centers that are listed on this slide. But you can also uh, apply through our mobile application, which I will talk about in a moment, or on our website at dcbenefits.dhs .dc.gov. You can also call the DHS call center if you have questions about your benefits or you need, have questions in your application process or you need a reasonable accommodation to apply. And that call center number is also up on the slide. It is 202-727-5355. And our offices and our call center open early in the morning at 730 so please do call. Now, March is the first month that people need to begin to recertify for their benefits. So if you have received a notice in the mail uh, and you are due to recertify this month, please call the call center imminently because if you have not recertified, you will see a lapse in your SNAP benefits. We don't want that to happen. So if you are still eligible for SNAP and you have not yet recertified, it is not too late. You can do that through our mobile app, and you can do that by calling our call center. Please take that step so that there's no interruption before you receive your benefits. On the next slide, um, I want to talk to you about a mobile app. So through your cell phone, you can take those steps to either apply for benefits, do your recertification, or, um, or see and manage 
any changes to your income or your household status, as well as your address information. It's always very important to make sure your address is current on file with the Department of Human Services so you do receive those notices and reminders about when you need to recertify for benefits or any changes in benefits because there have been a lot of changes with the, from the federal government with a lot of the relief that's available at, um, through states to our public benefit programs. One of those programs, and, then, and we can go to the next slide, is our pandemic EBT program. This uh, benefit is intended to help families whose children would have otherwise received breakfast, lunch, snacks at school. And so I'm happy to report that just last week, the federal government approved the district's plan for this school year to issue pandemic EBT. We are waiting for those funds to now transfer. And as soon as those administrative funds transfer from the federal government, we will begin the process of preparing to issue those benefits in collaboration with the Office of the State Superintendent for Education. So the good news is that while it is taking another four to six weeks before we're able to pay the pandemic EBT, we will be paying all the way back from October 1st from when those benefits stopped so that people will receive a pretty good sum of money um, that is about $123 per month dating back from their per child that you had in school. So please, the step you can take, if you've not done this already, if because you were, your child was learning virtually, if you did not register and you are eligible for free and reduced price meals with your school, please do that. And you don't need to take any other action if you've done that. If you have registered and are eligible with your school, then we will, you will receive a card in the mail with those benefits on, with, on that card. If you're already a customer who receives SNAP, we will be able to also put that money directly onto your EBT card where you get your SNAP benefits. So know that that additional relief is available with for food assistance, uh, and we are very excited to make those benefits available to our residents. Uh, with that, um, those are the updates from the Department of Human Services, and I'm absolutely thrilled to introduce one of our guests. So you will now hear from um, Dion Bussey Reeder, who is the Executive Director of the Far Southeast Family Support Collaborative. Good afternoon. Thank you again, Deputy Mayor, for Jackie O, as well as the other directors for inviting, me, inviting Far Southeast to be here. Again, I'm Dion Bussey Reeder. I'm the Executive Director of the Far Southeast Family Strengthening Collaborative. And I just want to spend a couple of minutes talking about the wonderful efforts that we've been able to afford the residents in Ward 8, Washington, D.C. So a couple of things I want to share is, first off, we're celebrating 25 years of success in the Ward 8 community this year. So we're excited about this opportunity. Even though we know we're in a pandemic, we're going to have some wonderful ideas and programs that we're going to actually do throughout the course of this year. I want to bring you all up to speed on what we've been able to do over the last year during COVID. We've done some exactly some great work with the families, especially the women that we've worked with. 92% of the people that we serve are women head of households. In the last year, uh, during the pandemic, we actually served 2,147 families. For us in Ward 8, that's a composition of approximately three to four people per household. During the same year, we also provided with the support of three other organizations, 
we sponsored a what we call a Thrive East of the River program. And in that program, we were able to afford $550,000 in cash. We recognized Far Southeast, Martha's Table, Bread for the City, and 11th Street Bridge Proc that the families that we serve needed an economic boost. They needed something different than just an opportunity to get a free meal. We did that as well. But we know economics is key to seeing our families move to self-sufficiency. So we provided them with a 5,500 cash stipend that they actually were able to go through a financial literacy with a coordinator to help them plan, because it's important to know when you receive money how you spend the money. I'm also proud to say that several of those individuals use that re those resources as a down payment on their first home. So that's the kind of work that we've been doing during COVID. We also afforded over 1,500 book, book bags to families with 150 laptops at the beginning of COVID in March. We provided 150 families with laptops because we know that there is a digital disconnect in Ward 8. Families have, laptops, have cell phones, but maybe not laptops and access to the internet services. In addition to that, we also wanted to find out how many of our families were suffering with COVID. So we administered at least 100 plus COVID testing sites. And we're working right now vigorously to put on a very big event this Saturday to get many residents vaccinated in Ward 8. So just to tell you a little bit about specifically what we've done as it relates to women health and women purchasing homes, I think it's important that we say this. I want to share this specifically because for us, we know that the families that we serve, we want to encourage all of our men to be a part of our families. But unfortunately, we service 92% of the families are head of households from women. Last week, we did the Feel the Love from Far Southeast Family Strengthening Collaborative. It was a household basket for moms and women's empowerment. We do stress reduction classes on a weekly basis. We are partnering with the University of Maryland to do the Moms and Babies Bus that comes into all of our, what we consider the highest neighborhoods that we have, the highest incidence of crime and the highest incidence of what we consider, as we know, health disparities. So we do this with this bus each and every week, and we've been doing this now for three months, going to these particular communities, and when, to, when we open our new building, which hopefully will be very soon, Deputy Mayor, we will actually have a location in that place so that families can come and actually have another site that they can connect with the moms and babies bus. So in closing, I would like to add, the work that we do really focuses on three areas of effort for families. That's economics. We have to infuse resources that families can take advantage of opportunities to take care of themselves. We know that it's important right now to provide the services that we do, but we want families to be, have the same rights that we have across the city in Ward 8, to be able to have the resources to plan for themselves, take care of themselves, and purchase some of these new homes that the deputy mayor was talking about. The other piece is having equitable education, not just grade school education, not primary education, not high school, but beyond that, opportunities that families can sustain themselves in the District of Columbia beyond a $15 an hour job. And finally, we would like to make a connection for the families that we serve, and I have to put a pitch in for the staff that I actually serve as well, for opportunities for them to remain D.C. residents. Many of our families want to stay here. They want to purchase in our city. So we have to open up the floodgates and connect more of them to my partner to my left with MANA so that they can get the home buying classes and the resources that the city so gratefully have so they can purchase in the city. And again, the Far Southeast Family Strength and Collaborative is a focus, like we do so many, for so many years, three main areas, 
economics for our families to move them forward, education so they'll have the tools that they need, and the equitable opportunities so that they can sustain themselves in the District of Columbia. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Dion. And I have to say also, I have to commend you for your public service on the Board of Commissioners of the yes. D.C. Housing Authority also, which is a really important role and a really a way to help thousands of district residents. So thank you for that service and for really an inspiring report on your organization. Thank, thank you so you. very much. I'm looking forward to it. Great. Uh, I want to now introduce our next uh, partner in the community, and that is, um, as, uh, as referenced, uh, the president and CEO of MANA, Inc., Sasha Gay Angus. Sasha, we'd love to hear an update from MANA. Thank you. Thank you. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. My name is Sasha Gay Angus. I am pleased and honored to be here. I want to thank Deputy Mayor uh, Falchikio as well as uh, Director Donaldson for inviting me to speak on this uh, important month, important time of the year when we're celebrating Women's History Month. Uh, I'm a proud immigrant of Jamaica Island. Um, just a little about, my, about myself. Um, I moved to the U.S. as a teen, and just before college, um, I really sort of entered the foray of, of, of worlds in the U.S., and that was almost 30 years ago. My personal mission is really to help women and children thrive, and frankly, the best way I know to do that is through housing and community development. I've spent the last 20 years of my career working in the field of housing and community development, and now as an immigrant, as a woman of color, and ex an experienced housing professional, I am proud to be leading MANA, Inc. toward its next generation of growth, investment in people, and investment in communities. Uh, MANA, Inc. is an almost 40-year-old organization that has developed over 1,500 units in all eight wards across Washington, D.C. We've served over 2,000 families in the district, and we've invested uh, over $300 million in D.C. neighborhoods. Um, we currently have 125 rental units under construction. That's affordable rental units that are under construction. And we have another 450 affordable rental units in the pipeline. As a nonprofit organization, MANA really works to curb generational poverty by developing and constructing new homes for sale to low and moderate income purchasers. We have a very robust training program that is designed specifically to, we've got a very robust, can you hear me better? Okay. Is that better? Okay. Yes, uh, Dion was just speaking about um, a few of her households actually entering MANA's very robust homeownership training program where we, you know, provide financial education, financial literacy, foreclosure prevention education for many first-time home buyers. This is the heart and soul of the work that we do at MANA. Uh, on average, MANA sees over 300, 300 clients on an annual basis, um, and now they're coming through our doors virtually. 78.9% um, of those people who come through our doors are women, 
and 79.8% identify as Black or African American. So overwhelming, the overwhelming amount of people that we see are women wanting to be first-time home buyers, wanting to purchase homes, looking for assistance with down payment and closing cost assistance so that they can support their, themselves and their families. MANA also provides a very um, robust empowerment program. Uh, so our work is really providing services from end to end. It is geared towards supporting homeowner associations and condo associations to teach them how to operate their buildings, uh, to teach them about governance and setting up the new condominium associations, and to really learn how to manage uh, their associations. I'm thrilled to hear about the homeowner assistance program that Director Donaldson just spoke about that will really go a long way in assisting many of these homeowner associations and condominium associations that may be experiencing some hardship as a result of, you know, lossing jobs when there is a um, choice or when, when, when one has to think about paying the mortgage or paying the rent versus putting food on the table, oftentimes it's putting food on the table. And so many of these associations might be experiencing distress. And so that, home, that homeowner assistance program will really, really go a long way. In our rental communities, um, that is, we, we overwhelmingly see women, um, you know, renting uh, in our communities. And many of them are 100% affect, are affected by economic hardship. Um, what some of the things that we're doing, we are providing rent relief. Um, we are thrilled to have received some funding for, through the rent stabilization program that's helped to sort of backstop some of the revenue losses. Um, we are allowing residents to go on payment plans. Um, we are providing resources uh, to households that have mental health challenges. Um, you know, we're providing resources and sharing resources um, for people who need utility assistance. Um, we are sharing resources uh, for people who are experiencing food insecurity and, and need assistance. So we are actively working with our residents in these rent rental communities so that they can uh, support themselves and continue to thrive through this, through this pandemic. Um, there is certainly uh, no denying that uh, women are disproportionately being affected uh, by COVID. And um, I talked a little bit earlier about, you know, women being, having the burden uh, at times of having to provide, you know, childcare, um, even for women who can work from home if there, there's no assistance from a partner or no childcare assistance, that also becomes a burden. So we are 100% trying to connect with our residents so that we can provide them with resources and share resources that, that may be needed. Thank you. Fantastic. Well, I appreciate all the presentations. We want you to join the conversation as well. Uh, so if you're on the phone line, you can press zero now, and that'll give you an opportunity to ask a question 
or share a comment directly. Or if you're on social media, uh, you could use the hashtag DC Hope uh, on Facebook or Twitter, and that will allow you to enter the conversation and uh, uh, ask any questions that you have or share any thoughts or reflections uh, with the group here. Uh, but each week uh, in uh, March, we have recognized uh, an unsung Shiro. Uh, so Mayor Bowser uh, is excited to uh, have us recognize another uh, unsung Shiro uh, today. And so I want to uh, bring into the conversation uh, and highlight our unsung Shiro, who is uh, Reverend Georgia uh, Clay Davis, uh, who's a minister of congregational care at Metropolitan Baptist Church in D.C., and I want to read her bio just to give you a little bit more context about who she is and what she's done uh, for D.C. Uh, so she is um, a native of Washington, D.C., and she has, uh, sorry about that, <laughs> using your phone sometimes causes a bit of a hazard, <laughs> uh, but she has uh, served uh, for over 20 years as the Minister of uh, Congregational Care uh, at Metropolitan Baptist uh, Church. Uh, she's a leader, champion for seniors, and supporting seniors in our city. She also has a passion for mothers and has served and advocated for young moms. Uh, prior to COVID, she has worked with uh, the Safeway Feast of Sharing, uh, which I know many of you uh, have participated in, has volunteered at, uh, and was able to help us feed thousands of our seniors at Thanksgiving time. Uh, and with uh, Metropolitan Baptist Church, uh, she's worked with her daughter uh, to provide online senior fitness classes uh, she's also encouraged others uh, to get tested for COVID-19 and get vaccinated uh, as well. And she's also a member of the Zeta Phi Beta sorority, uh, and she's served as the coordinator of the Storks uh, Nest program uh, for her chapter. Uh, the program is designed to promote prenatal care participation and encourage healthy behaviors uh, during pregnancy uh, through two components, incentives and education. And at the age of, well, I'm going to skip that part, uh, she <laughs> continues uh, to support uh, others and uh, uh, go as God leads her to uh, serve her community. Uh, and she's also found ways in this pandemic uh, to create pivots. So just like uh, she was doing before, she offers support uh, to moms, uh, and she's taken that support online and delivered it virtually uh, during the pandemic. So we're really uh, excited to have with us our unsung Shiro, uh, Georgia uh, Clay Davis, and I want to welcome her, thank her, and have her tell us a little bit about uh, her work. It's my pleasure to have this honor. I've never been called a Shiro before, so I give <laughs> God the glory for that. Um, I need to clarify, I am not the current um, Minister for Congregational Care at my church. I am uh, under the new administration, I work more with outreach ministries. And so therefore, I am more involved in working with the community. So you've talked about my work with the Safeway Feast of Sharing, and we've been involved for over 20 years. Um, originally, my role was to get volunteers to help. So basically, my role has been to find ways to support the needs that I see in the community, in my congregation, uh, in, in my family. So as God has led me, we have, for during this COVID period, the Feast of Sharing fed over 5,000 uh, cold, cold uh, meals, uh, luncheon meals, and we helped to 
raised over 5,000 gift um, packages of um, gloves, hats, gloves, scarves, masks, that kind of thing that were given to over 5,000 citizens, seniors, and homeless within the city of the D.C. Um, with my church, we are constantly reaching out uh, to identify needs. I was responsible originally for getting um, the um, persons who needed food and setting up a food pantry in our church. Now that I am at the beautiful age of 81, um, I'm not able to do all that I used to be able to do. I'm not able to get out and meet the community, but I'm able to get people to help. So therefore, my role has been getting supporters. So in that role, we are constantly supporting the food bank that has grown and is serving the community. In my role, I am working with different organizations to, with the Storks Nest. The Storks Nest is a program that we see many pregnant women who have dire needs. And so in my role in working with the Storks Nest, we are constantly trying to find ways to get community involved in helping them. At the moment, we are finding that, uh, and we work with March of Dimes, we are finding that the research that March of Dimes has, has laid before us needs to be proven. It needs to, we need to find out if all the things that pregnant women are learning, if that is what they really need, if that is really helping them. So our program at this moment in time is trying to get feedback from as many pregnant women as possible to pass on for them to be, for us to know what they've learned, what they're returning, and what we need to focus on. So we are registering, we have four virtual cohorts that we are working on to get the pregnant women to uh, sign up, take the assessment. It doesn't matter where they have been, where they're getting, as long as their uh, primary care provider is in the District of Columbia, we can take them. Even if they, in their moving around because they don't have stable locations, they might be in nearby Maryland, D.C., Maryland, or Virginia, but if their primary care provider is in the District of Columbia, we want them to register with us so that we can make sure that what they are learning is something that is needed and what the teachers, what the people who are helping them would know what they need to be focusing on. So that is something that the community can help us with uh, at any time. We also found that um, there are many people in the community. We have community partners. Um, I'm glad today to see some of the people here that we have tapped into your resources, especially the far southeast community. And I'm glad to find out here there are other people because I'm being called on not only to help, but there are people who are going through stresses and going through situations. They need to know who, what resources are close to them, what resources are available to them. I used my, even though I didn't expect to get it, I used my 20, my um, COVID stimulus, the first stimulus. I used that to help people that I knew absolutely direly needed help. I used that not for me because that was not something I needed, 
but it enabled me to help families who were caught by COVID. And until this money could come to help them, they needed to survive, their families needed to survive. So I used the money to help them. Um, I don't know if I'll get anything this time, but it'll be used in the same way <laughs> because it's needed. I am so grateful today to know about these services that you have. I'm so grateful today to have the opportunity to let the community know we need your help. There are so many ways that we can help. I have made masks, handmade, because I was in a car accident and it caused me my brain not to be able to focus and do the things that I used to be able to do. So I'm not able to stably walk all the time. But sewing by hand was something that helped me. So I made over a hundred um, masks and just gave them to people who really needed them. Um, whatever God leads me to do, as I see the need, I am grateful that he shows me not just what I can do, but what you can do and others can do. So praying for people, helping them to make it through the storm, encouraging people, helping them to make it through the storm, helping people to continue to have hope. That is what God is leading me to do. And I thank you for recognizing the work that God has given me. Well, now everybody knows uh, why Mayor Bowser wanted to recognize you as a Shira. Um, we really, uh, you know, we have many people ask us, well, what can I do? What can I do to help? Uh, and really, I think you've exemplified, just do everything you can do. And so uh, we know this doesn't make up for all that you've done, uh, but we've got some flowers there for you uh, from Johnny's uh, Flower Shop on Georgia Avenue. We've got uh, some goodies uh, that I hope you'll share with your daughter uh, as well. Some goodies there uh, from the Made in D.C. shop from Bailiwick, uh, a Madam Vice President bag. Uh, and I'm sure uh, we've got uh, some uh, other things that will uh, keep you in mind for other ways to recognize your work. I know that the mayor uh, each fall has the Maternal and Infant Health Summit. Uh, so I'll make sure we stay connected with you uh, in order to hold up your work, but also uh, to encourage others to get involved uh, in that work. Thank you so much for all of these blessings. This is my granddaughter who has really been by my side helping me to be able to reach out to the community <laughs> to do a lot of the things that I'm able to do. So thank you for all of these blessings. Absolutely. And uh, just uh, I saw her recording. I'll make sure we get your recording too. Uh, the Tatiana and the team will make sure that we get that for you uh, so you can keep sharing uh, the good work that you're doing. And thank you. And I think everybody on the panel knows uh, that we get a call from Reverend Clay Davis. We make sure we follow up and we make sure that we help. Uh, and I think that was really what we wanted to highlight today is that there are resources out there uh, for people. Uh, so I guess let me go to Dion first. Uh, Dion, what when people walk into the door uh, at the collaborative, what do you what's the first bit of advice you have when they ask for help? How do they get ready to receive that help? How do they make it most accessible uh, to get to that help? Well, first, um, Deputy Mayor, we never stopped opening the doors. We never stopped taking the calls, yep. and we meet people right where they are. So there's a very easy way of coming to Far Southeast Collaborators. Just walk in. And we've strategically placed ourselves in five different areas within the Ward 8 community so we're not far from your home. So the very first thing to do is just pick up the phone and call us, tell us what your needs are, and if we can't meet them, we'll make sure we find out the other 
Reverend Clay Davis is so we can find out how to get your need met. So we actually do not tell anyone no for anything. Absolutely. And so what about MANA? How do you uh, receive folks and what's the best way uh, for people to connect to the services you have? Sure. Uh, one of the things that we've seen at MANA is that our participation rate has improved significantly because, um, you know, people who are interested in participating in our home buyer classes no longer have to be physically present to join our classes. Now they can attend um, our workshops virtually. And so we're seeing our participation rate really improve significantly. Now people are making appointments, they're keeping appointments, and they're staying in through the entire program. People are very, very serious about really becoming homeowners, and we are doing everything that we can at MANA to you know, retain the people who come through our doors and walk them through every step of the way, regardless of, of where they are in the process. They may be 12 months out, some are even four months you know, uh, close to being a home purchaser. We walk them through the process every step of the way. And when they've graduated from our program, we help them find a home. If not a home that MANA builds, it may, it may be another uh, affordable dwelling unit that exists in Washington, D.C. So we don't turn anyone away, and we help them um, to stay in our program until completion. Absolutely. And that actually, uh, we've seen that too with community meetings, uh, that there's been an uptick in participation in community meetings because it's more accessible uh, for folks. Uh, we all want to be back together again, but we do see that participation is, uh, we've seen an uptick in it. And I saw Polly shaking her head uh, while Sasha was speaking. So Polly. Well, just to say that also at DHCD, we've uh, seen upticks in participation across all of our programs because of the online presentations that our network of community-based organizations such as MANA and such as Far Southeast have been able to do. It really is a, uh, it's showing again how, you know, we can all come together and learn new ways to reach people and to bring people in and to be able to do that. It's true also of the agency. Uh, we are, have now, are doing online, uh, more online activities where you don't need to bring the paper into the office, but we can actually process uh, things electronically in a much more efficient way. So again, Deputy Mayor, I think that that's really a very good uh, uh, harbinger of how even with the, all the horror of COVID, we will make changes in how we do business and how we serve residents of the district. And, if I can say, yeah, Deputy Mayor, to um, Director Donaldson, I think it's important for us to recognize the partnership with the community-based organizations and, and the um, DC agencies. Because of an opportunity, because of COVID, we were able to actually purchase through a DHCD grant. You guys had a COVID relief grant. We were able to purchase laptops and through another relationship, we got free Wi-Fi services at one of our locations so more families were able to be socially distanced if they didn't have a computer, be able to actually access more of the programs, not just for Far Southeast, but citywide. So you're absolutely right. That level of connectivity, I think in the midst of this, we realized we all had to collaborate to make this happen. And we put those federal resources to work to provide grants to nonprofit housing and community development organizations, uh, over 50 of them in the district, to be able to address COVID-related issues and programs like that. So we're, we're grateful for that federal support as well. 
Absolutely. And I think uh, Laura laid out uh, what we'll soon announce in the uh, emergency rental assistance uh, program. So, Dion, she's going to be coming to you again uh, because, Laura, there are some items that people will have to have together in order to get that rental assistance. I know you had a slide about it. I don't know if we could go back to that slide, uh, but really it seemed like, and I wrote them down, to get ready, right? So I said, get ready, question mark here. Documentation. So you're going to need something for your identity, your income, your lease, and your utility. If you, need, if you need utility assistance, then yes, um, you, any kind of statement showing the, your arrears and your account number for um, for your utility arrears. Yeah, back one more slide, I think. And uh, definitely, um, just you, you'll be able to call us, and we can walk you through it. It will all be evident on our website. Just but begin to gather those documents together. Uh, we know that there is help with rent, there is help with other income supports, and that we're gonna make it through this together. People do not have to lose their housing and you do not have to wait until you're at risk of eviction, till there's a case filed against you to get that help. We want you to get that help now. We'll be able to help people not only with the rent that they owe their back rent, but if they still are not reemployed, we'll be able to help them going forward if they still need that assistance. So really encouraging folks not to wait. And once we um, open up that application system, uh, be ready to apply. There's help on the way. And um, and who is going to be able to qualify for it? Because I think that's kind of the question. I want Dion to get folks ready. I want Sasha to, as people <laughs> walk in the door, who's going to be able to qualify for this program? So there, there will be a chart on our website um, you know, where you can look at if you're, um, what your area median income is, uh, and I think it's about 80% of area median income and below. If you know, if you're if qualified for unemployment benefits, you're eligible. If you have lost income and can't afford your rent uh, during the pandemic, you're going to be eligible. Most people who are experiencing hardship right now economically and cannot pay their rent. It is um, there. There is assistance for you, and we should be able to help, or at least um, put you in touch with another resource that may be there for you. So um, basically, if you're you have had loss of income that has made it difficult to pay your rent or your utilities or any other housing costs that you might have, uh, we would love for you to um, get your documents together. You can also certainly apply for emergency rental assistance program, which is open now, and you can do that through the DHS website. But we know that the new federal funds um, are going to be much more. It's a much larger sum of money that we have to assist households. And so, uh, and and I'm glad that you talked about our community partners because I just I think this panel is an excellent example of the fact that government doesn't do anything alone. We do it only in partnership and through our community organizations. And, and and we rely so heavily on our community providers to help residents uh, get their needs met. And so we have done a number of community calls with our with our partner organizations, and we will continue to do so, so that you have the information that you need to help the people who are coming to your door. All right. So Polly, and for, can I just yeah, add one yeah. point though, because I think it's an important point uh, uh, that there is no restriction whether you have an existing housing subsidy or if you're undocumented for this, these new federal funds. So I That's think right. that really sends a message to the entire district community that this is a program here to help you. Please apply. And Polly, I was going to say to the income levels, because uh, Lori mentioned a 80% uh, of AMI, which 
so folks may not register what that is. I think I'm going to guess. Ready? I'm going to guess. Mm -hmm. So uh, for a single person, that's seventy thousand dollars. For a family of four, that's about a hundred thousand dollars. That's correct. That's good. Good on the math. Okay. Great. And All then right. so, but and if they they qualify, if they have a reduction in income. Correct. Or experience unemployment Correct. during the pandemic. Correct. And if they are behind in the rent, they have, documentation is needed to show that you owe rent, back rent, or that you can't pay your rent going forward. It can cover both uh, reverse and going forward. Okay. So, Sasha and Dion, how do you think we should reach people uh, in order to make themselves uh, or, or push themselves to apply? Because really, this is an opportunity for us to help people. And I'm going to ask you guys, and then I'm going to ask Reverend uh, Clay Davis, too, what she thinks. But how should we reach out to people? What do you think is the best way to meet people where they are? Well, I'll begin. Uh, and I'm so, I was about to call you John. Uh, please do. Please. I'm used to saying it. You well, always you could, say that. Could, <laughs> just call me John. Just keep calling me. Especially when we're talking. Um, so, John, for, for us, it's really the way we do our business each and every day. And that's connecting directly to the individuals that we serve. We put our information out directly door-to-door. -door. We're still safely doing door-to-door -door engagement. We're safely still doing all of our social media outlets, and we really actually have a pretty high percentage rate of people who pay attention to what we're doing. We're connected closely to our community leaders and our elected leaders, our council members. So for us, our network is so large in how we serve, and most of our programs have community advisory councils for individuals who were once actually either in the program or currently are actually involved. So we use those networks to get information out like this. I'm writing notes right now saying we have to get a leaflet, spread the word, infographic, less words, a lot of pictures, how do you do it, make the connection, and make it a very easy process for our families to actually engage. Far Southeast will be more than willing to be one of the conduits to share the information. But that's how we should do it the best, and I know in the community we serve. I would just add briefly to what Dion just said. Uh, for people who are living in uh, affordable, you know, rental communities, um, that it is also helpful um, to connect with property managers, um, so that property managers can disseminate information uh, directly to residents that they site managers specifically can schedule appointments with residents and work with them um, to, you know, go through the process. Um, so working with the property managers as well as developers, I think, is an added layer um, of, you know, connecting the dots to ensure that the information reaches uh, residents. Absolutely. And Reverend uh, Georgia Clay Davis? I think that our churches, which are the grassroots level, need to be notified so because they can speak directly to their congregation and their congregations can speak directly to families. So I think that in the District of Columbia, you have quite a few churches, whether large or small, that can really help their members to get the services that they need and can really use that help. I think they will... What I find is hearing it from one source and then having it reinforced by another source helps to solidify Absolutely. and bring and about the can, outcome. If I can add to that, Reverend, you're so on point. We actually have two very robust faith-based groups in wards, both in Ward 7 and 8 that we are a part of. So the Ward 7 Faith Leaders Group and the Ward 8 
Faith Leaders Group, we meet on Saturdays, the first and the second Saturday of the month. That's a wonderful opportunity. You're right on point to share that information along with the other community-based organizations like the Anacostia Coordinated Council. That's another conduit to get information out. Thank you. Well, I'm looking to my panel because we're almost at time. Uh, we did get a lot of uh, messages on Facebook. Uh, they were mostly all shout-outs to Reverend Georgia Clay Davis. <laughs> so I don't know what your Instagram handle is, uh, but we got to get you on if you don't have one, uh, because uh, we've got a lot of positive feedback. Uh, but I want to just go down the line just to ask folks to give us kind of their final thoughts. Uh, so we'll start with Dion and work our way down the uh, panel. Uh, first of all, thank you so very much for this opportunity, having these kind of conversations. We were right at that point that we were really getting to the good stuff, I like to say, outside of just hearing the great information about Reverend Davis. But I would love to hear more about how we can share more information, get more information out to our families, and be a part of how to support the directors here and get this information out to the families that we serve. So thank you for having us here. I want to say thank you very much for the opportunity to uh, speak about MANA and the important work that we do to serve low and moderate income families who are overwhelmingly women and not just in our rental communities, but those who are um, seeking the opportunity to be homeowners. It is, they all need a leg up. Um, and when families thrive, children thrive, and there is a ripple effect in, uh, you know, the generational um, prosperity. And so it's a great opportunity to speak a little bit about the work that MANA does. And please reach out to us. Well, and I just want to say thank you to our community partners for being here, for saying yes when I called to say, will you please come join us and talk about your work and how we can reach the community. I also want to say how uh, uh, important it is for residents of the district to understand that the federal resources that we're going to be receiving and have received are just going to have an incredible impact on being able to build back better here in the District of Columbia and knowing that investments in housing will be a key part of that. So I encourage you to stay tuned, to be aware of what I, not only the assistance we talked about today, but also other housing programs as these resources become available over the next days, weeks, and months. Um, so I just want to add to what some of the, to the comments of my uh, esteemed colleagues on the panel and just say that we know that a lot of people when they're struggling economically prioritize their rent, prioritize really essential things, but then they're um, hurting in other ways. So please do uh, seek that rent assistance, even if you don't owe back rent, if you need it going forward. And if you have, because, so you can make your car payments, you can do other things if, you've, if you're eligible. We know that those are things you're going to need to be able to go back to work or that your kids might need shoes or other things, and it's, there's no shame in it. It's there for a reason. The other income support programs that we offer through the Department of Human Services are there, as well as connection to a robust workforce development system that can help you upskill and, up, and pursue a career. So um, please do seek out our services. There's lots of great information on our website, and um, one, just encourage folks to take advantage of the help that's there for you. I always say that 
the true measure of education is not in the academic knowledge that you gain, but in how to use the resources to help you to get to your goal. So today I am grateful for this opportunity to share, to be a part of, and to learn from you. And I pray that those who have listened to us are getting enough knowledge of how they can avail themselves of the resources. DC has many resources available to us, but many people do not use it unless it comes from someone they trust and someone that they respect. And so I am grateful that you have honored me today, but there are lots of sheroes out there in the homes unsung that also are helping you to learn, listen and learn. Well, I don't know how better to end it uh, than what uh, the Reverend just said. And I think that uh, for each of us, uh, there's more work that we can do to make sure that people know about the resources that are available. Uh, we've listed a lot of those resources on our coronavirus.dc.gov website. Uh, if you go to the recovery page, uh, there's a recovery page that uh, lists out resources uh, for individuals. Uh, and that's where a lot of the resources that we've talked about today are posted. Uh, so make sure you check that out. And then also, uh, let's also help our neighbors as we have these conversations about going to uh, get rental assistance or even about home ownership opportunities. Let's make sure that we have that conversation to encourage everyone we know to get pre-registered for vaccination. Uh, it is so important. It is our way to get out of the pandemic is to get more of our neighbors vaccinated. So right now we need folks to pre-register. You could do that at vaccinate dc.gov. And then when we have more vaccine from the federal government, uh, Mayor Bowser is going to make sure that we have the team in place uh, to administer that vaccine. Uh, so leave you with that because it's so important to our recovery, uh, not just for our individuals, for our business community and our city as a whole. So I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. Uh, we wrap up uh, Women's History Month, but our work goes on uh, to make sure that uh, housing uh, becomes affordable. Uh, and more accessible and those opportunities like home ownership to empower our women and families uh, continue. So it's something we'll talk about all through the month of April uh, as well. So with that, I want to thank you for joining us and want to remind everybody to continue to mask up and stay safe.